Welcome to the Vandy Sports Podcast. I am your host, Chris Lee. Our guest today will be George Plaster. This episode presented by the Well Coffee House, a Nashville area coffee house that provides fresh roast coffee along with house-made pastries, breakfast, and lunch offerings. There are four locations to serve you in the Nashville area. Those are Brentwood, Green Hills, Downtown, and Bellevue. You can get more information about the well at wellcoffeehouse.org. The Well Coffee House, where coffee changes lives. We also thank our co-sponsor, Wellspire, Nashville's Learning and Development Center, which is located in the Gulch. Today's news presented by Sutherland and Belk, a family-owned injury law firm. If you or a loved one has been hurt in an accident, call my friends Taylor or Russell at 615-846-6200. See what your rights are and if they can help. Great dudes and very good at what they do as well. Vanderbilt hosts Alabama on Saturday night in basketball. Tip-off time is 8 Central at Memorial Gym. The game can be shown on the SEC Network. George Plaster appears on our guest line, brought to you by Bowling Branch, which is run by Vanderbilt graduates Scott and Missy Tannen. I have slept on Bowling Branch sheets for years, and they are amazing. They are also fair trade certified, which means they're made under safe conditions by men and women who are treated and paid fairly. Try them free for a month. You can return them, but you won't want to. If you have the sheets, try the mattress. That was voted best mattress of 2018. Go to bowlandbranch.com. That is spelled B-O-L-L, and enter the promo code Vandy to get $50 off your first set of sheets. George Plaster joins us today. George has been a sports talk host in the Nashville area for decades. George is now at Nashville Sports Radio. George, how are you today? Chris, I'm good. Uh, I'm watching the blizzard of 2020 uh, as the snow doesn't pile up. And now I see a ray of sunshine. Holy cow. Yeah, the snow decidedly did not pile up yesterday, although it somehow managed to snow all day. But there was no accumulation anywhere. (laughs) There was nothing. (laughs) My kids were excited about nothing. And I didn't, didn't want to damper their enthusiasm. But I do think they did figure it out after a while. But, hey, before we start the Vanderbilt end of the podcast... David Clymer passed away this weekend. I know you and David were probably pretty close. I knew David a little bit, really liked and respected that guy. And I didn't feel right doing shows this week without mentioning that. I know that was a passing that saddened a lot of us because I think David, and I don't think this is an overstatement, I think David had the respect of everybody within the sports journalism community. Oh, I think you said this really well. Number one, uh, a guy I enjoyed working with a lot. Uh, I had found out uh, that he was ill about, I don't know, about six weeks ago. And I, I called him and just wanted to let him know that Greek prayers matter too. And that I was thinking about him. I had no idea we were this far along in this process. Uh, you know, I heard about it, heard that he had passed away during the Titans game. And it was just very sad. I kept, you know, while I was watching the game, kept thinking about David and all the fun times we'd had on the radio. It's just very sad. Yeah, I heard about it the same way. And I I wasn't super close to David, but I'd been around him for years. And, and we had, I guess, more of a friendship than I, I realized. I remember I ran into David, I think this was the summer of 2018. David had moved, I believe, to South Carolina. 
Yeah. And I'm in Cool Springs Mall, and, and I look up, and, and there's David walking around the the mall, and I, I saw him from a distance and got his attention, and I, I bet we talked for 15 or 20 minutes. Um, it, it just really reminded me how much – I was like, man, that was kind of a missed opportunity. I wish I'd gotten to know this guy better. But David was kind enough in the, in the middle of basically a vacation to, to stop and talk and, and ask things. And I think David's reputation – he was obviously a, a columnist who, I can say, pulled no punches um, because that, that I think that would paint him in a, in a light I wouldn't mean to. Anyway, I guess what I'm getting at is columnists a lot of times um, hit at things directly, and, and sometimes there are personality types that go with that that don't make you the easiest person to get along with. I found that as I got to know David – that stereotype could not have been further from the truth in terms of who he really was. Yeah. And, and one of, to me, one of his calling cards was that he had time for everybody. There were a lot of young reporters, young journalists, young talk show. Well, I wasn't young. Let's not go that far. Um, talk show hosts that, you know, came to him for advice and he was will always willing and able to share his knowledge. He sort of grew up in the John Bibb sports department of the Tennessee. And back in the seventies, he covered uh, Ernie and Bernie when he was in school at Tennessee. Uh, he was at one point on the Tennessee state university beat. Um, and then at some point became a columnist for the paper and just was really you know, kind of the backbone of Tennessee and during those terrific reporter, wonderful human being, man, we are going to miss him. Yeah. I'm into all that. I regret that I did not know he was that sick. And I, like I said, didn't get a chance to say goodbye, but if, if David's anybody in David's family is listening or somebody knows him, I hope they will pass along our condolences. Um, George, this is a time on the Vanderbilt beat where you think things can't get more bleak. And with every passing week, somehow they do. And I thought that Saturday was a low point of a different kind. Uh, They got smacked by a Tennessee team that's not very good, but it's that much better than Vanderbilt right now. The three-point streak is gone it just feels like the identity of Vanderbilt basketball has completely evaporated. Yeah, I went to uh, I went to the game Saturday. I stayed uh, through the first half, and then when Tennessee got on the run in the second half, uh, that's when I ended up going to the Predator game. I had, uh, I was trying to do both, and here are a couple of things that uh, stood out to me. Number one. The three-point streak has gotten a lot of attention, and I had to laugh because in the mid-'90s, with the streak probably at around 400 games, we went to Gainesville to play Florida and got throttled and in the process didn't have a three-point field goal. And Drew Maddox knew that and in the last three or four minutes fired up a bunch of them and finally hit one with about 25 seconds left that kept the streak alive. That's the closest it had ever come in the past 
you know, is it the most important thing going? No, but at a time where there's absolutely nothing else to hang your hat on, it's kind of a sad moment. Here are a couple other things that struck me Saturday. I took a picture of Vanderbilt's student section two minutes before the game started. There were not 50 people in that student section. And, you know, I grew up in an era where the the Vandy-Tennessee basketball game was probably the biggest sporting event that would go on uh, year in, year out in Nashville. It was Ray Mears, Roy Skinner. It was Tennessee bringing out the unicycle. Unfortunately, it was people throwing oranges, but it was an intense rivalry. And walking in Saturday, I realized that at least for now, that's gone. Uh, Vandy's gym, uh, which, you know, I grew up in the shadows of Memorial Gym. It was such a thrill to be able to call games in that wonderful building. And to see what it's been turned into just breaks my heart. It really does. Um, The only time that you ever see double digits, 10,000 or more, is when the visiting team brings a bunch of people. That was the case Saturday. That's the sad part is that in the old days, a Vanderbilt fan could tolerate what was going on in football with the knowledge that things would be a lot better in basketball. And that simply is no longer the case. And right now, you know, you could make the argument that in the power five conferences in the two sports that matter the most men's football, men's basketball, nobody is on a worse trajectory right now than Vandy. Yeah, if it's not them, I don't know who it is. I mean, we had this conversation yesterday. I said maybe Rutgers, but Rutgers went out and hired a football coach who's won there before, and the basketball thing is headed on a better trajectory. So I think, I can't think of anybody else who's on the same plane as them, or even close. Yeah, unless Rutgers has a real um, downturn from mid-January on to the end of the regular season, they're going to make the NCAA tournament. And, um, yeah, I mean, they were the obvious one, you know, six or 12 months ago, but they seem to be turning a better path, better corner, whatever. And, um, you know, the, uh, other than Vandy baseball, what really is there for a Vandy fan to get excited about? You know, you'd like to be able to say, well, you know, you know basketball is down, but well, right now that's not really the case either. And that's what worries people is how long is this going to go on? Because there will come a point, you know, where when people see no hope that they just pitch the towel in and say, what's the point? I want to touch on some of those things later, but it's gotten so bad that the women's basketball program, which used to be the most consistent winning thing over there, they got beat 30-something points by Arkansas this weekend. I don't really cover them a lot. I just don't have the, the time or the energy, frankly, right now. But I happened to turn on the radio. I was trying to find the broadcast of the NFC Championship game on the way to go watch it at a friend's house, and I turned it on. They're getting beat, I think it was 86-43 to 43 
at the end of the fourth quarter, so it could have been worse. Look, I, I just don't think it's coincidence that they stink at everything but baseball right now, other than sports. And, and look, I get that men's golf and women's golf and, and those things matter to the people that are involved. But frankly, those are sports that you can be good at without putting any resources into. I, people have voiced concerns about them, and even even Vanderbilt's own and its alums. I see this on message boards all the time, and it always bothers me. You will see people defend them tooth and nail, and, oh, well, people shouldn't be concerned, or, you know, where's your... I'm like, people out there trying to tell you how screwed up your approach is, and all they seem to do is thumb their nose and wave their hand aside, and you look up a few years later, and here they are. Yeah, I mean, um, you used to hear me a lot on radio talk about their marketing issues and that if somebody didn't start to, you know, change that ultimately what fan base they had was going to die off. I got to a point where I knew people were really tired of hearing me say it. But unfortunately, I think some of this has come home to roost. And, um, you know, that, that's another issue they have right now is a dwindling, virtually down to nothing fan base. And, you know, you can hardly blame them at this point, uh, because on the football and the basketball side, there's just nothing to get excited over. And I think we all knew, even with Aaron Neesmith, that it was, this was going to be a real challenge, uh, to, to squeeze out some wins in SEC play. And once he went down, you see what's going on. Saban Lee is their one really legitimate SEC player. And, you know, teams are, are making it virtually impossible for him. And, you know, he better get used to it because the, the book on Vandy now is, you know, don't let Saban Lee beat you because the rest of them can't. I'm about to say something that I think is as harsh as I've ever said towards Vanderbilt. And I don't say this lightly. I don't say this without thinking about it. I don't even say this with ill intent. I'm, I'm not saying this in a way to bash them. I say this in kind of a way that you say to a loved one that is in addiction or, or something like that where they don't see things clearly, and, and you have a better view. And again, there are always complications on the inside that they have to deal with. Um, and, and I don't minimize that. I'm not meaning to say that those aren't legitimate. Those don't have to be dealt with. And from that perspective, it is easier for me to say this from the outside because I'm not the one that has to deal with some of the realities that athletics has to deal with, okay? But they are so... I, I, I don't know. It's like you, you try to tell them sometimes. You see this from the outside. You can see the train wrecks coming with them. And you try to say, hey, you might want to rethink this before you do it. You might want to consider your approach. You might want to get opinions from people on the outside or at least listen to it. Again, 
they don't seem to realize that a lot of times the criticism coming their way for the way they do things in their processes is not poorly intended. It's intended as a wake-up call, and it seems like the response that you always get from them um, is, is we have a process and we, we need to go through it the way we need to do it for Vanderbilt. And I, I just keep watching this from the outside and seeing the decisions they make. I see the decision they made with the women's basketball hire. And the way they put together a committee that I don't think had anybody connected with the game. And how they picked their coach. And they ignored good candidates. They had Mike Neighbors, the guy that just thrashed them on Saturday. Willing to come and take that job. I don't think he even got contacted. The the process, they did not dismiss Melanie Balkum for two months. They were trying to let her walk away and save face or whatever. That cost them two months in recruiting and, and God knows what else. They wound up picking a coach that summer um, over coaches who could have come to campus then. She couldn't even make it to campus till the middle of September because of her schedule with the WNBA. And I'm looking at that and I'm going, you sat there with what that's April, May, June, July, August, September. You basically didn't have a coach for six months. You didn't pick a guy who'd just been to a Final Four. You didn't even give him a call at a place that goes to Final Fours. And I just keep looking back at that and going, there were red flags all over that. And people tried to tell him, and they did it their way anyway. And th- that is that is an extreme example but 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 I feel like on this beat, I, I banged my head against the wall for years. Seeing train wrecks coming, saying stuff, getting made fun of, being told I didn't know what I was talking about, all these things. And this this stuff happens over and over and over again. And I'm not saying this again to bash Vanderbilt, but I just look at him and say, when you guys going to listen to the people on the outside? who see this from a different perspective and give those points of view some credence? Well, I'm not sure what I need to add to that other than uh, I I get the frustration. Um, You've had a scenario where Kirkland Hall does things its own way, but there doesn't seem to be anybody in there that really understands sports at all. And you know, when they keep saying, you know, we need to do it the, the Vanderbilt way, I don't know what that means. Um, I, I don't know what that's supposed to mean, but I know this right now, these programs are in deep trouble. And the common denominator in all of this is two things. Number one, on the coaching end, they're not recruiting well enough uh, on any of these fronts that we're talking about. And I think Malcolm Turner is going to have to really put the pedal to the metal with the coaches to say, I want to know what we're doing in recruiting. You know, I think that's one of the areas right now that he's got to kind of come down on Jerry Stackhouse and say, look, you've got to produce a monster November period. Derek Mason, same deal. Although, 
football's now over. Uh, and then the other thing is, you know, Kirkland's got to quit making stupid decisions and tell everybody that the sky is red when it's blue. And um, it's a frustrating time right now for a Vanderbilt fan because other than Tim Corbin, there's really nothing to get excited about. Vanderbilt baseball is it. And unfortunately, right now, that's all there is. That was very well said. The the recruiting thing, and then I want to get back to the university and and how it's run and how athletics is run in just a second. But look, the recruiting thing, and I've I've seen this blowback on my board. Well, we don't know how he can recruit, and we got to give him a chance, blah, blah, blah. Look, you hear some of the same stuff I do. Your phone blows up with the same text that mine does from some of the same people, and you know where these things are coming from. Um, The point is not about does he deserve time and and is he capable of doing it. The point is the process. And they, they pulled people off the road. They pulled assistants off the road. They have one guy who's recruited before. Um, I, I, he's not out there. He's not out there in recruiting. That's common knowledge. The, the approach of we can fix this with player development. Okay. That that's, that's the NBA approach. That's great. And he's good at that, right? He, He was very good at it in the G league. And I don't doubt that I saw improvement from the teams he had, but I see what he's got left. And there is no amount of player development that's going to fix this. You've got to have no. the horses that have a ceiling to work with. They they are not even in the ballpark. They they need nine or ten guys that can play at this level because you're always going to get one or two hurt. Um, unfortunately, this year, uh, the, the one or two that got hurt were probably their first and third most important horses. And you see where that leaves you. They've got about four. Uh, including one who's hurt and isn't going to play again, and another one who's hurt and and may play. I mean, I, I think right now I see their roster is I think D'Souza's got potential, Pippen's got potential on offense, Saban Lee, and then Neesmith and Brown. The, the rest of them, man, you, you other than Obena, who shows some things at times, the point is they don't have enough horses, okay? They got to go get more. That That's not part of the plan. That's not been part of the plan. They have already dug themselves a massive hole with that. Um, they don't recover from that at, at the soonest, I think, until this fall. Those guys don't report till next year. Expecting them to come in as freshmen and set the world on fire. Hey, they just signed two McDonald's All-Americans a year ago. You saw how that panned out. I, I, I keep seeing the timeline for this getting anywhere close to respectable getting pushed back and back and back. And and basically, if you want to know when you can start the clock on them being able to put a decent team on the floor, start it at the first good recruiting class they bring in and then set it two years from that, barring transfers, and, and you and I both know that's really hard for them to get. And grad transfers are darn near impossible for them to get because they don't get any help from the school. So what I'm getting at is this. 
if their first good recruiting class is the one that they bring in this fall, maybe when those guys are juniors, they can start to turn the corner to respectability, and God help them if it's anything longer than that. Yeah, about the earliest that you can look at and project that this could get considerably better is probably late 22 uh, to somewhere in 23. And you just worry about what does Memorial Gym look like while all this is going on. You know, I, I bring it back a lot of times to the Braves because it's a team that, you know, I root for religiously. And when they went through this whole thing, you know, you knew that there was going to be light at the end of the tunnel. You knew they were stockpiling a lot of great pitching that eventually this would start to get better. The Vandy fan doesn't have that luxury because they don't see anything. You know, they don't see any big signing that's taking place, which is why I think Malcolm Turner is going to have to pull Jerry Stackhouse in and say, I need to know what your recruiting plan is. You know, right now, player development is is great. And the truth of it is, you saw a little glimmer of hope when they went to Auburn and played so well. And the minute you got that hope, Neesmith got hurt. Well, that's not Jerry Stackhouse's fault. That's not Neesmith's fault. That's just simply bad luck. But you you know what what you're getting at is you have no margin for error. And, you know, you can't afford even the slightest of hiccups or, you know, the thing goes in the tank. And once Neesmith went down, I mean, we all knew it was going to be a struggle with him. And without him, who knows? I mean, is Owen 18 going to happen? You know, he can't player development this into six or seven SEC wins. If he does, if I'm wrong, God bless him. I mean, he'll be the second coming of James Naismith if he's able to pull that off. But the bottom line is this thing is in a bad way. And I just hate, when I walk in that gym, I just cringe at what I'm seeing. Well, look, I I do not blame him for this year. If they go 0-18, I don't blame him for this year. Because at this point, there's nothing you can do. I think he had a chance to get three, four, five wins with Neesmith. I think that would have been progress. I think that would have been improvement. I don't have any issue with what he's done on the floor. Other than than in-game stuff. Um, yeah, I think they could have called a lot better sets and things to, to get Neesmith the ball. And I give Jerry credit. He he admitted to that, and I thought that was that was something that that was very refreshing. So my my bar was was set very low. My my problem is now it's just like if you're not going to be out there recruiting, um, you, you can't fix it. I mean, all all the tools that I think are the best tools in his kit are going to be useless unless they increase the talent. But I, I think I've I've made that clear. Um, I'm going to go to the mailbag and then get at some other things. Our mailbag is sponsored by Mark Gent and Simply a Fan. By organizing leading baseball trips, Simply a Fan provides baseball fans 
the opportunity to travel to ballparks around the country, enjoying the company, camaraderie, and fellowship of friends and strangers alike. Simply a fan is organizing Vanderbilt baseball trips this spring and also one to the women's basketball game at Tennessee on Sunday, February the 23rd. For more information, go to simplyafan.com and find out more about how you can be a part of road trips that involve Vanderbilt sports. Let's see. GLH4VU has some questions. Uh, first is his your opinion on the streak. I think you kind of got into that earlier, but if there's anything that went unsaid, let's hit that now. No, I mean, you know, in – is it is it the world's biggest issue? No, but right now a Vanderbilt basketball fan doesn't really have much else to hang his or her hat on. So I get that that it caused a little bit of an uproar. Well, this is you know sometimes people are mad and they don't really know what they're mad about or they're just mad, right? And all sorts of stuff comes out. I didn't think any of the stuff directed at him or the players at face value was true. But I think this is kind of where some of this is coming from. He's not been out there meeting fans. He's not been in media. Um, he, he came in this job. There's no sense that he has immersed himself in trying to understand the culture of the program. And maybe that's unfair, but I think that's where a lot of this is coming from. Yeah, I agree with you, and I'll just leave it at that. You said it well. GLH four V or excuse me, GLH four VU again says, How did Bryce Drew manage to leave this in such an absolute mess? It seems like you'd be trying to make uh, a team that is devoid of talent. Well, it is a mess. There's no doubt about that. And again, over the last year and a half, they have not been very lucky. Darius Garland's injury um certainly derailed what he was trying to do. Chateau was, um, you know, a much ballyhooed, much ado about nothing, you know, and took his handlers and ran off to wherever he is now. Um, you know, you talk about overrated. And, and once you got past those two, there wasn't enough. There didn't appear to be enough. First of all, I, I get the fact that he wanted the program to be more athletic. But what they absolutely do not have right now that has been a staple of Vanderbilt basketball, they don't have any shooters. They are the gang that can't shoot straight. And, you know, it showed up against Tennessee where they're 0 for 25 in three-point field goals. But it was it was this way a year ago. I remember going to the SEC tournament game against A&M, and they couldn't hit the broadside of a barn. And this is one of the areas where C.M. Newton probably had it right up in that state. And there were some great shooters that came out of there, Drought and Goheen. And, and you know, I'm missing a few, but you, you get the point. They don't have any shooters. And I don't know when they get one next. Well, they better figure that out because to me, that's the easiest part of recruiting. You can find some great shooters. Well, and I will say this when they had Neesmith, their three point shooting had really 
increase. Now, I think that was a, a product of him hitting a lot, but you also got open looks for the kids that, that weren't that aren't getting them now. And again, the whole thing spirals out of control and downhill, and we've been over that. But um, I'm trying to think of where to go next. I, I think this is a good question to go with. The skin from GLH4VU. Does Malcolm Turner think this is something they can actually recover from? The fan base is dwindling in the football and basketball teams are both horrible products right now. I don't know that I can answer what he's thinking, but his head has got to be spinning. When he took this job, there were certain things there was no way for him to know. There was no way for him to know that, you know, near the top of his plate was going to be a basketball program that had traditionally been pretty respectable was going to hit a rock bottom that we've never seen before. There was no way for him to know that. And I remember the first time I met with him, I had breakfast with him back in early March, and he said that. You know, that that, that had to be a frustration that he walked in with all these other problems that he knew about. You know, they were way behind in facilities. But I don't know that he could have seen basketball coming. And I guess... The easy answer is his head's got to be spinning right now. Well, this is the other thing that gets talked about a lot. And again, I think this is sort of his equivalent to Stackhouse's situation and that if they go 0-18, I have a hard time blaming him for this. And I, I, I know he's learning this at Vanderbilt, that there's all kinds of landmines that you weren't prepared for and, and – God help him if he knows how to deal with them because I don't I don't know that anybody would. But the problem he's having right now, and I hear this from fans a lot, he started out as being very communicative and in front of people. Basic emails, and this is the thing I hear a lot, at least David for his shortcomings, David being David Williams would return emails with regularity. Right now, people aren't getting that. And I don't know how much of that is fair to him because, A, maybe he's getting a 1,000 of them a day. That's an exaggeration. But between that and the things that he's got to do, uh, maybe he doesn't have time to answer them. I don't know if that's a fair criticism or not. But what I am saying is that perception is hurting him right now. I have not seen yeah. him at games lately. He's not out there in the media. Again, and, and none of that may be his fault. He may have been dropped into the situation as a victim of it, like a lot of other people, but I know that's not helping him right now. No, I agree with that, and I've kind of said that to him. He He's a very good communicator one-on-one, -on -one, and I would like to see him get out more on the, uh, if you want to call it the circuit, and and start talking more about what they are doing Right now may be a difficult time because I get the feeling they're waiting on some February meeting with the Board of Trust for them to either anoint his plan or put the thing in the shredder, uh, at which point then, boy, we will have a lot to talk about. But, you know, I do think he could help himself some by getting out and communicating a little more. He's, he's a very likable person. And that's one of the, that's one of the things I think he's missing out on scoring some points by just simply dealing with people and telling them, Hey, here's, 
here's what's coming down the pike. Here's what we're trying to accomplish. That's what I don't get with either him or Stackhouse, okay? Because I've just gotten a flood of messages and, and calls about the, the disconnect there. I, I hear it with Stackhouse. I hear it with Turner. And, and at first I was like, no, wait a minute. Let, let's First of all, these guys just got here. Let's give them a little bit of a chance. And second of all, my dealings with both of them, I've really enjoyed them. I think they're bright. I think they both have a sense of humor, which really helps you when you're at Vanderbilt, by the way. I think they're both very likable people. So I see the pieces there for both of them to do those jobs in terms of public relations very well. But but right now, they're not out there. And it's frankly, it's frustrating and, and angering people. And again, I, I don't say that. That sounds like a criticism, and, and maybe it is. I, I cannot judge them because I don't know everything they're up against, but I know that's perception, and I know that perception matters, and if he didn't know that, he's finding out uh, with the streak getting broken. Yeah. Um, they they definitely need to get out more, but that's an entire athletic department other than Tim Corbin issue um, that they're a program that the fans don't really know very well. Well, I just keep thinking back to Tim, and it's it's just so wild. It's like you've got three programs that are terrible, all of them right now, and and I don't see a lot of hope on the horizon for any of them. You could maybe say women's basketball; they're recruiting better, they have improved, but you know she hasn't shown that she can can coach at a high level yet. So there's that. And, and a look at him, and I th- th- well, there's a lot with Tim that that you know why it works. I think he's he's very sincere. He's out and about. I mean, he eats at, at the pancake pantry and and everywhere else. He's known in the town. He's accessible. He's conversational. He's got this personality. Tim is not this charismatic guy, but what works for him is that a he's sincere. B, he cares about people, and C, he's out there. And and he has been able to leverage that to take people who don't care two licks about Vanderbilt, uh, in fact, some of them that probably hated Vanderbilt, and make him friends of his program. The second element I look at is he has insulated himself against that school, and I mean in a good way. Like, he knows how to work and how to talk the language and do those things when he needs to, but his office is not in Magoogan. Um, that, that whole thing is separate and he runs his program almost as an entity apart from the school. And I don't mean in a way that they're doing anything bad, uh, but, but in a way that works for him because he's smart and he's figured it out. And that, that's kind of a depressing state when that's how you have to operate. Yep, it is, but he was smart enough to figure it out. So, uh, kudos to him. Um, Let's see. S. Butler the fourth says, what led to the big basketball donation and what convinced Vanderbilt to match the funds? Is this a harbinger of the athletic department's increased fundraising prowess or a one-off thing? Well, I don't know that I know the answer other than um, at, at the point where the, the donation was made by an alum in the late 70s. 
And in the late 70s, Vanderbilt basketball was a huge deal in this city. Now, it was going through some real controversy with Richard Schmidt that ultimately led to the hiring of C.M. Newton. But back then, it was 15626 every night in Memorial Gym. It was the place to be. And in the infancy of sports talk radio, Vanderbilt basketball was at the top of the list. And my guess is that, you know, that that probably contributed uh, to this couple deciding to do this. I think that's it for the mailbag questions for today. At least there's some others out there, but I think we've we probably addressed the spirit of the questions. Let's talk baseball for a minute. Um, Baseball America's poll came out yesterday. Vanderbilt was number one. D1 Baseball's came out last week. And Vanderbilt was number two behind Louisville. Does that sound about right to you? Yeah, I mean, they, you know, their, their stock and trade is they've got more pitching than virtually anybody where it matters. And, uh, you know, they're going to live and die on their pitching. Uh not that their everyday isn't any good. I'm not saying this is a sport where pitching is probably 80% of what dictates success. Um, and they've got a ton of it. George, any other thoughts before we end the podcast today? Anything we didn't get to that you think is worth noting? No, other than <laughs> let's hope this gets better. Ah, uh, yeah, I, I do too. Um, no, nobody enjoys these, the least of which is, is or maybe the most of which is me. But anyway, it is what it is. Uh, George, I am going to be on your show, I think, today at 2.20, I think is what we decided on. Bingo. Um, yeah, you do a great job over there with Watson Brown and Terry McCormick. Tell people about where to find you on the dial, where to find you on the apps, and what's coming up today. Sure. Uh, 5.60 on the AM dial, 95.9 on FM. And if you can't pick those up, uh, you can go to the WNSR app and um, look forward to you joining us. I do, too, as well. Thank you, George. Talk to you soon, Chris. He is George Plaster. I'm Chris Lee, the host of the Vandy Sports Podcast. We appreciate you listening. We'll have more episodes coming your way this week.